All right, welcome everyone. If you are over by the coffee, I'd like to invite you back over to your seats. Good morning. It's so great to be with you guys here this morning. If you are new to Jericho Ridge, or if you haven't attended here before, my name is Jenna, and I am the children's ministry director here. And so I'm usually upstairs with our awesome kids, but it's great to be with you guys this morning. And so if you're looking around and you're seeing some kids in the service, that's because during the summer, we do something called a family inclusive service, where we have the kids who are in grade two and older with us in the service, while the kids who are in grade one and younger are upstairs watching a movie. So we are in the middle of our summer series, which is called Stranger Kings 2. And we are looking at the life of Elisha, the prophet, in 2 Kings. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you'd have heard Pastor Mike talking about how Elisha is a bit of an odd prophet. He doesn't do things the way the other prophets would do them. For one, he spends much more time with the people than he does with the kings. However, today we are going to be looking at a story where he does spend some time with some kings. And so I'd like to invite up my four volunteers who are going to be our kings today. Yeah, so we've got Maddie, we've got Amaya, we've got, (laughs) yeah, we got Dale and we got Mike. Awesome. So you guys, if you want to take a seat in your thrones can sit in that throne over there. They're chairs, but we'll pretend. And if you want to just hold up your piece of paper so everyone can see what it says. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So as you can see, we have a bit of an introduction for each one of our kings. It gets kind of confusing because there's four of them, and so I thought this might help. So the first king, we have the king of Edom. And as you can see, he doesn't have a name. And that's because we don't know very much about him, except that he's kind of just there. (laughs) So next to the king of Edom, we have the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat was a good king in the eyes of the Lord. He was good, he was faithful, he was God-fearing. And he was actually one of the Davidic kings, which means that he came from the line of David. So next to Jehoshaphat, we have the king of Israel, and he was an evil king in the eyes of the Lord. And if you were here last week or last summer, you would have heard Pastor Brad talking about how Jezebel is wicked and how her husband Ahab is evil. And so King Joram is actually their son. And King Joram would have probably seen his father put away the Baal idols because they were worshipers of Baal. And he would have seen his, or sorry, he would have seen his father get cut off for worshiping Baal. And so probably in response to that, he put away the Baal idols. However, he did not turn from the evil ways of his parents. So if you have your Bibles with you today, if you could turn to Second cha- uh, Kings chapter 3. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the screen. Oh, sorry, it's kind of small. That's okay. Um, 
But if you don't have your Bibles, 2 Kings is found in the Old Testament, which is in the first half of the Bible, and it's in between 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. And if you still can't find it, you can just look in the index and it will tell you what page number. So 2 Kings chapter 3, and it says, Ahab's son, Joram, began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not the same extent as his father and his mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebet, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. The king Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 10,000 lambs and the wool of 10,000 rams. But after Ahab, king of Moab rebelled, sorry, after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent a message to the king Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course. You and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, what route should we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or the animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. And so here we see that we are introduced to our fourth king, King Mesha of Moab. And what's interesting is Mesha actually means deliverance in Hebrew. So let's just keep that in mind because it might help us understand the ending of the story. And so the king of Moab is a sheep breeder. Uh, and he has to pay a tax to the king of Israel. And so what we know about the Moabite in the Israelite history is that they go back and forth with who has more power. Um, but, we're, but during the time of the kings... Uh, the kings of Israel were growing and growing and growing in power. And so we're assuming here that they had a little bit of control over Moab because Moab was paying them taxes. And so after Ahab, the evil father of King Joram, after he died, the king of, of Moab decided to rebel and, um, and try and get a kingdom for himself once again. And so um, King Joram is on it, and he calls up his good friend Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat gladly ag agrees to join him, and at some point, so does the king of Edom. And so these three kings, they set out on their journeys. They've got their armies with them, they've got their animals with them, which are carrying all of their supplies, and uh, they go traveling through the wilderness. Now, this isn't the type of wilderness that we have here, where we go camping in our forests. This would have been the desert, and it would have been brutal. It would have been hot. They were probably exhausted, and lots of them were probably sick. And after their seven-day journey, they ran out of water. 
And the king of Israel cried out, the Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Saphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, the king Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult Elisha. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and your mother. But King Joram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called the three of us, called us through kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. And so here we can see the faithfulness of Jehoshaphat in contrast to the unfaithfulness of King Joram. And so while Joram was whining and complaining about how God's judgment was upon them, King Jehoshaphat decided to, to seek out the wisdom from one of God's prophets. And he knew that God could speak through Elisha. And so these three kings, they go and they, they go to Elisha, um, but Elisha doesn't have any time for the king of Israel. He says, why don't you go back to the pagan prophets of your father and your mother? But King Joram presses on and says, no, because it was the Lord who sent us here to be defeated by Moab. And so we can see that Joram knows that the God that he does not serve nor follows has placed judgment upon him. Verse 14. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respects for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. The dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither rain nor cloud, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourself and for your cattle and other animals, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the armies of Moab. You will conquer their best towns even the fortified ones. You will cut down all of their good trees, stop up all of their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. And so for the sake of Jehoshaphat, Elisha decides to, um, to seek the Lord on their behalf. And he asks for a harp, which is interesting because a lot of prophets used to ask for musical instruments to be played so to show that God's hand was upon them. And I was even reading that quite often it was used to show that God had greater power than idols, which kind of helps us understand the ending of the story. So just keep that in mind. 
And so what the musical instrument would do is it would draw in witnesses so that people could bear uh, witness and, and hold the testimony of what the, the prophet said to be true once it came about. And so with that all being interesting enough, we can see that God's hand is upon Elisha. And he prophesies that water will fill the land and that it's going to come from an unknown source. It's not going to come from the rain. And he prophesies that the land of Moab is going to be destroyed. And then the next day, there was water everywhere. God had showed himself to these three kings. He had shown himself to King Joram. All right, so I'm going to change the subject for just a moment. If we look up on the screens, we're going to see a picture of a dress. Now, if you've been on Facebook in the last couple years, you probably recognize this dress. But for the sake of those who haven't been on Facebook, what color is this dress? <laughs> Let's take a vote. I see a white and gold dress. Put up your hands if you see a white and gold dress. What? Okay, put your hands down. If you see a black and blue dress, put up your hands. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's just crazy. I, I don't know how this works. And so if you come up to me after, you do. A blue and yellow dress. That's different. <laughs> That's all you. Um, yeah, so I don't know how this works, so don't ask me. But what I do know is it's an optical illusion. And if we keep reading, there's another optical illusion in our story. So verse 21. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword. And they stationed themselves along the border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it appear red to the Moabites like blood. Oh, an optical illusion. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the armies of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed the towns, covered their good land with stones, stopped up all their springs, and cut down all the good trees. Finally, Ker, Hathes, and its stones, stone walls were left, but men with slings surrounded it and attacked it. So the Moabites were clearly not prepared for this battle. And why should they be? They lived in the desert. There was no reason for them to believe that their land would be filled with water. And so when they saw the sun reflecting off of it, appearing to be red, of course they would have assumed that the three kings had killed each other. And so when they went out, they were not prepared to fight. They were prepared to plunder, which means to take the stuff of the kings. And so everything Elisha said came true. Everything Elisha said, who prophesied on behalf of God about destroying their land and a good chunk of them came true. God had shown himself to the kings again. He had shown himself to the king Joram of Israel. But then, 
verse 26. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle, he led 700 of his swordsmen in a desperate attempt to break through the enemy lines near the king of Edom, but they failed. Then the king of Moab took his oldest son, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. So there was a great anger against Israel, and the Israelites withdrew from their land and went home. So what just happened? How could this have just happened? We see that in the last attempt, the king of Moab sacrifices his son. And he's trying to save his people and save his land. And then a great anger comes out against Israel. And they withdraw. They go home. They don't conquer them. How could this be the ending of the story? If you guys want to have a seat, thank you so much for being our kings this morning. We'll give them a round of applause. Yes. So what happened, and where did this anger come from? Was it from God, or was it from people? Well, this anger doesn't appear to be attributed to God. And so it would have been the Moabites responding to seeing the, the, the uh, king's son being sacrificed. But God, and God alone, grants deliverance. And so what happened? Let's turn our attention back to Elisha for a moment. And so if we look at the Old Testament prophets, they were here to deliver God's word. But during the time of the kings, they had a bit of a special role. And this was because the kings, the priests, and the people, so everyone, had turned against God. And as we heard earlier, the kings were growing and growing and growing in power. And so they had control over the priests. And so what the prophets would do is they would stand outside of the idolatry and they would stand outside of the evilness and they would be proclaiming God's true word. And they would be proclaiming it to the guilty who were the kings the priests, and the people. And their call was for repentance and for faithfulness. But for those who did not respond, there would be judgment. This was not a message that Elisha needed to give to King Joram because he already knew it. And twice in our story, he admitted it. And Elisha even challenged him to go back to the prophets of his father and his mother, but he said no because he knew that it was Elisha's God who had placed judgment upon him. And so Elisha showed him grace, and he sought God. And God showed him grace, and he showed himself to him by providing water and by allowing them to conquer the land of Moab. And everything Elisha said came true. Yet never once did King Joram repent or turn back to God. 
I'm going to turn to John 5 for a moment. It's going to be up on the screen. You can look at it if you'd like, or you can just listen, but you don't need to turn with me. And so just to tell you a little bit what's happening in John 5, is uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees being the religious leaders of the day. And so the Pharisees are mad because he's picking some grain, and they want to kill him because he's the son of God. So anyways, this is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So we have a complete need for God and God alone. And there is judgment for those who do not respond. But for those who do respond, there is life. And so if we turn to Jesus, he will be gracious to us, and he will give us life. I would like to invite the worship team back up, uh, and we're going to join together in songs of worship this morning, um, praising our God. If you would like uh, some prayer, we have a prayer team at the back, and they would love to pray with you.